Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Wellness Coaching Conversation. I'm Lori Legault, and I'm here with my exuberant co-host, Brian Douglas. And we are so excited because we have a special guest today who is... It's just a cool reason of how we know this person and what they bring to the table is absolutely amazing. So we're excited for everybody to to meet this person. And so, Brian, I will let you introduce her. Awesome. Thanks, Lori. And and um, I, as always, appreciate your introduction. I never know what you're going to say about me. So far, it's all <laughs> been good, but we, we, we've got plenty of time in front of us. Yeah. So today we are really excited to introduce somebody who I think in many ways is kind of a professional unicorn because I've never met anyone with the credentials and background and experience that our guest has. And so her name is Uta Bellin. Now, Uta is originally from Germany, although she she has been in the UK for many years, makes her home uh, between London, England and Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, Uta is a medical doctor, a national board certified health and wellness coach, a certified NLP life and recovery coach, a board certified consultant anesthesiologist and consultant in perioperative medicine and a board certified physiotherapist and the founder of Become Well Enough. I have to pause and take a breath now because she's so accomplished. But Uta, it's so wonderful to have you here on the podcast. So I just, you know, on behalf of all of our listeners, welcome. Thank you very much um, for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think all of us are. Yeah. And I think it's worth <laughs> noting that, you know, real quickly, that the reason that we even know you, Uta, is because the three of us were in a big training together as developing coaches. And so that is our connection to somebody who is all the way over in the UK. And it's pretty neat how we can do that and how we can meet people in our continuing education classes and all of that and make these wonderful connections that can last and last and last. And so we haven't seen you, however, since then, which has been a while now. So, uh, so this is great. And so Brian, I'll let you get into the conversation. Wonderful. All right. Well, Uda, I know, um, this has been a long time coming. We really appreciate you making time for us and obviously working with the the differences in time zones. And what I'm most curious about, even though I, I've known you for a while and we were in a coaching class together, I'm really curious to hear how you ended up becoming a national board certified health and wellness coach. Because I'm guessing you were a medical doctor first and, and you kind of lived in that world for a while before you ended up in coaching. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm still working in clinical medicine. Though. Um, so it was in 2016 and um, I became aware of an advert that the coaching academy in the UK were advertising to join them for um, um, a fair to see what they have to offer. And um, I bought into this and then very quickly um, started training as a life coach. And I had special mentoring and the mentor said to me, 
why don't you just have a closer look at health coaching? I think there are not many doctors doing health coaching. And so being of a curious mind, I just went along and had a look. And then I came on to national board certification in the US. And it all started from there, really. I love it. I love it. And and I don't know that I've I've met another physician who is also uh, a health and wellness coach. And so, you know, I think it's it's that's an interesting part of the discussion that I'd love to have today. I'm also curious, though, um, you mentioned in, in the emails that we've shared back and forth about kind of looking a little bit at your own personal health discovery and health journey. And so I, I, if you're willing to share that, I'd love to hear a little bit about that and, and maybe how that has informed this expansion beyond conventional medicine into coaching and prevention. So I had a medical health test, some lab results back in 2016, and my general practitioner um, said afterwards, well, the fats are a bit high. Just be careful what you're eating. And I just thought, man, if I wasn't a doctor, I what am I going to do with this? And that was the end of the conversation. But I knew because um, I had some health tests before um, the conventional panel, HDL and LDL concentration, I were quite okay. But if you look at it as a, as a single number, then that, LDL concentration was high. And um, I actually left that be. But um, as I'm aging a lot more, and I'm getting on quite a bit now, um, I recently, very recently thought, I just want to have another look at this. And have done a lot of reading about it. And we understand about pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, and when we start treating patients, and patients often um, starting treatment when they are diabetic, not even when they're pre-diabetic. They just get told just to eat the right foods. And so I um, recently um, got myself um, an Abbott, no promotion, but um, an, a, a Libra style too. Um, glucose monitor and put them on my arm and um, knowing that in 2021 I had um, fasting glucose which came back as umber and I just thought oh well I mean that's just um, one of those tests you send in the post so and I haven't done anything about it and so I put this monitor on my arm and with it comes a lot of stuff I'm doing. So I'm just giving myself a few challenges and then see what happens. And I had a fasting glucose, which was pre-diabetic fasting glucose. Wow. So, and that's a bit shocking, actually. And it's particularly worse when I'm working. It's much better when I'm off. And when I'm exercising, so I'm waking up to normal glucose levels when I'm exercising or exercise the day before, um, when I'm not exercising. And that doesn't mean I have to go and run 
particularly fast or long or have to do a lot of uh, resistance work it's just half an hour like ashtanga yoga does it and then probably you'll get your steps in and take the stairs and all the rest of it and that actually sorts it out really well now knowing that insulin resistance starts a long time probably a decade maybe two decades i have no idea your beta cells start to deteriorate and then your um, insulin resistance climb, uh, insulin resistance comes in. And what we know is that um, lipid or lipoprotein abnormalities rise at the same time. So it would be a good idea to actually check your fasting insulin levels. Anyway, what was really interesting for me to see how I can influence and play with it what kind of foods I, I mean, obviously that's the obvious thing, but also how to stack foods, what to eat first, what to eat last, how much, how much time in between and how exercise influences it. And that would be the story of my own journey. And I'm still going, I haven't finished. That's amazing. And, you know, it makes me think about the average person who doesn't have all the education and training that you have, you know, when you get that information that you, uh, you know, the numbers are showing that there's something going on with you and you don't know what to do with it. Right. It's difficult, um, in this, in the U S I would say for sure, difficult to get diagnoses and then know what to do with that. There isn't a whole lot of follow-up necessarily. And so, I think this is the where the intersection of medical and coaching really has a a nice tie in and you have already made that tie. You're almost able to coach yourself and be the doctor in the situation too and say this is my situation. I'm going to play around with this. I'm going to see what variables exist and how I can manipulate them to see what works and what doesn't. So that's a pretty interesting um, you know, I don't know. I, I love the, the curiosity. I think you said it well, Lori, that, that, that intersection is a place where I think surprisingly, there's still a lot that needs to be learned, but that's where a lot of people find themselves and they, they don't know what to do. And so, you know, what I, what I heard from your response that I found, found most fascinating, Uda, number one, that, a fellow medical provider basically just said, watch your fats. And that was it. So, you know, it, it's clear there wasn't a lot of maybe education that they had received, nor did they have anything prepared for a patient such as you. Um, but then the fact that you were willing to kind of break outside that traditional or conventional paradigm and be curious and really start exploring and figuring out that, oh, I, I actually can control the outcome. I can modify my behaviors. I can make different choices and I can change my, my physiology. I mean, that's a, that's a really, really big thing because again, that's kind of opposite the old conventional model, which is, you know, go to the doctor and, and wait for them to tell you how they're going to cure you as opposed to saying, how can you discover your own sense of empowerment and autonomy and be a co-collaborator in your, your own healing. And so I think that's, that's a really wonderful insight 
an experience that you had. And I'm also interested too, that the work that you do as a medical doctor sounds like it's, it's contributing to an unwell state because you said, you know, my numbers are only wonky when I'm working, but when I, you know, when I'm not working and I'm doing these other habits, um, they're good. And so I'm curious, is it, is, is there potentially a, have you found a middle area there where you can kind of, you know, do your work and also maybe, you know, create some habits that can help you maintain this, this new equilibrium that you've created? Yeah, very good question. Um, so this is, I've, I've just been doing this for a week. Um, <laughs> so there is plenty of opportunity, but I do not work every day and I haven't got on calls too often. But when I have them and I, our weekends are 72 hours, um, that is... It's interesting to see what's going to happen during my next weekend, what happens to my sugars and therefore my um, lipoproteins as well, uh, which we're not measuring. Um, so definitely, I think what matters is it's like any foods you eat. And of course, I eat cake and sweets, but now it is a different trigger. It's a, it, there's so much going into this. I I have a challenge tomorrow with some cookies. Um, so I think there is a lot of things I can try out and see well, how can I stack my foods? How can I incorporate exercise? And then I have to live on days when I'm working, I have to live with sugars which are not great mm. i mean they are still within range but i would like to wake up to less than 100 milligram per deciliter of glucose so and i have to see how i'm doing this mm. and more often is better than having no clue what's going on and then progressing into a state where i then have to take metformin some point mm. and what i'm really concerned about is the skinny fat people like myself potentially there's no radar on them we're concentrating very much on the overweight but we're not concentrating on the ones who are aging who look perfect on the outside yeah. what's going on for them inside yeah it, it sounds like that um that's a, an interesting energetic surge that I felt from you. So, so is that kind of the direction that you're visualizing your own coaching practice as, as you are, you know, as you mentioned aging and you're starting to deal with some of these conditions yeah. and you're learning in real time, how to manage them. Is that going to inform your, your coaching practice moving forward? And if so, what do you think that's going to look like? So I think it is important to start relative or much earlier than because currently we are looking at just starting when symptoms arise, which is late in the day. It's not yeah. too late, but it's late. And the earlier we can start um, creating awareness around it, it's 
I guess it is difficult at 25, but I guess that would be the time when people need to start thinking about mm. it. Because we're all living for such a long, for, for so long these days that it would be interesting to see what are people's plans how, about health span. We're talking about lifespan in medicine, which is just making life longer. But at what 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 does your like life is going to look like when you're eighty or ninety? What are you able to do? Are you still able to lift your um, small suitcase up in the overhead locker when you're in your eighties? Um, can you still climb stairs? Um, mm. You know, can you lift up a small baby or small child from the floor without any help in your 80s mm. so these are things um and you have to train for it it's a bit like an olympic discipline if you like so you have to set your mind to it and then start thinking what would i like to be able to do when i'm in at that age and i have to train for it mm. it's a different kind of workout um not just for the looks but really for function yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious where, what your current coaching, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you are doing what we would call traditional coaching right now um, in your profession. Do you feel like you utilize those coaching skills naturally in your work as a physician or do you do a separate coaching practice? So I do separate coaching outside clinical medicine, but I have been involved in some prehabilitation coaching last year um, in a tertiary cancer center. And I was lucky enough to find somebody who said, yes, okay, let's have a look at coaching um, wow. in prehabilitate patients so that can undergo their surgery and recover much quicker. This is a very new field um working as a health coach in um, a hospital area i think is again another level of understanding i think we it, it's it's okay to say you don't need to be an expert as as a health coach in a particular medical discipline but i would reckon that if you want to work in a, in in a hospital area um I think you would have to look at how does hospital medicine align with what you want and vice versa. So, um, and of course, there are some big learnings to be done on both sides, the coaching industry, health coaching industry, as well as the medical industry. They have very little time, they have short bandwidths, there is funding issues, um, and I think we as health coaches probably need to be aware of that and think the, the topic of coaching, um, from our perspective, I would like to be better described and hopefully experienced by as many people as possible because it's, at the moment we are at a stage where I think they need experience of it to see what is the difference between like a sports coach and when you talk about coaching everybody's coach these days and what people understand by coaching is directing 
which is not what, what we think it is. I couldn't agree more, Uta. I struggle with that myself because when you say, you know, people ask me, like, what do you do for work? And I always hesitate for a second because there's so many types of coaches. And so defining that in a hospital environment, like you're saying, I almost feel like needs a better term so that it makes sense when you say something like, uh, a chronic illness behavioral coach. I don't know. I'm just throwing words out. But, you know, when you say something in a succinct order that makes people understand exactly what it is you're doing. And I think, man, you are in this area that is so, I don't know, breakthrough because in my opinion, we could use a health coach in every aspect of the process, the preventative part of medicine, the diagnoses of a, of a, of an illness part of medicine, which would be different, right? Like it's all kind of different. And I see this at many junctures mm -hmm. as being something necessary, but difficult to put in place. And so the fact that you're on the forefront of this with all of your expertise is so invaluable. I'm just kind of blown away by it. And I also wonder how you move your hats around, you know, like in the, in the coaching uh, education, they talk about taking off one hat, putting on the other. I'm like, well, my goodness, you hold on many hats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you decide which hat you're going to use at that moment? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess um, you can take elements you learned in coaching into work and when I work with juniors who are training that has a phenomenal effect on them um that is one aspect but to do coaching I think you have to have an agreement with a person uh, that she or he wants to be coached um so but Definitely elements of coaching, moving into work and for, commu for communication with um, your colleagues is great. Um, if I coach outside work, then I obviously have to make sure I very consciously take one hat off and put the other one on. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes good sense. And, and I love what you said, Lori, that there are multiple stops on that on that particular train line so to speak where a coach could jump on board and be invaluable and and uda you mentioned the prehabilitative work that that is very new because i know that coaches will be engaged for post operative rehabilitation and helping people with that and also you'll see people work with uh with folks when they're dealing with a fresh diagnosis of either prediabetes or diabetes or or you know some lifestyle controllable um diagnoses i'm curious how that experience went for you in prehabilitation and was there was there what we would hope for was there an impact on the outcomes for the patient that's a very interesting question thank you so i think what i've done there what i was allowed to to um trial 
um, was quite interesting for me to see. It's hard. People don't understand what coaching actually is. I had to explain myself, not once, but in several meetings to to, and you don't want to compete. You also want to be careful about your scope of practice. Um, the hospital psychologists came in and had to listen and were very curious. And most of them don't understand what health coaching is all about, which is I thought was very interesting. And then working with patients, they think you are a counsellor. So you have to go and explain, first of all. That probably needs a lot more input um, on the patient side and on the staff side. So I think we are at the very beginning um, moving out and seeing how we can make impact. We as coaches know that we can, but what are the best routes into it? And I think it's just a bit of experimenting around and see, and you only need one yes. So if you get somebody who's interested and gets the funding and gets you incorporated in the team, and then you can work there and um, see what what effect you have on outcomes, um, that's great. But um, we see more of us need to try that route. Mm. Does that answer your question? It it did. And I, I'm curious if any of our listeners have have a similar thought of, of that experiment, would it be okay for them to reach out to you to perhaps oh, definitely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so because sure. we'll we'll put your your information in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. Um, because I feel like again, as a pioneer you're gathering knowledge that potentially has never been gathered before in this area. And so if other coaches are are inspired by the work that you've done and are continuing to do, um, I think that would be really neat for them to be able to reach out to you and and maybe learn some some nuances in approach and some of the language that can be beneficial for them if they're speaking to to hospitals, whether they're speaking to administration or whether they're speaking to medical providers. Um, so yeah, that's that's great because I I think it just seems like there's a lot more that can be done here. And once some folks like you prove the model, the insurance companies are going to get involved and they're going to say, okay. This is this is where to put our money because then we don't have to pay so much for people to stay in the hospital as long, and maybe we have less recidivism or or all of that. So it, it feels like you could create some really positive momentum with just a, a few key kind of experimental approaches in this area. Yeah, I th- I think we recently talked about prehabilitation as in preparation and making you patients fit so that they recover quicker. My personal view is I think that really should live outside a tertiary healthcare center. Mm. That's not really something you have very little time, but even in that little time, you can achieve a lot and the community it builds between patients. That is really helpful. And we see this outside in primary care as well, but I think essentially as I say, disease starts a lot earlier. So being fit 
is it's a bit like a bank account to save for a rainy day. So if mm -hmm. you do a little every day, you then, if something hits you, you got something to draw on rather than being frail and not prepared. Um, you just have a lot of problems, particularly in the old age groups, mm. to recover quickly and not become disabled and dependent. So I think ideally that needs to mean moving out of a hospital into primary care. Hmm. Yeah, what you were just saying, Uta, earlier about your own um, diagnosis and how you feel like the preventative side of, you know, how how really those numbers take effect way, way, way earlier in life. It sparked a memory of mine because when I was only 21 years old, I was working in a, my first corporate wellness environment and we were doing those little finger prick tests for checking cholesterol, you know, and it was just a, it wasn't a full panel cholesterol, right? It was just a, just the, it, it tells you, I'm trying to think what it was exactly, but it was just a screening and somebody, I was doing the screenings and somebody didn't show up to their appointment. So I pricked my own finger, but I was only 21. I'm like, I'm healthy. And I was super fit. I was teaching lots of fitness classes and this is on, this is the end of the nineties to date myself. And so, uh, this is still in the era of carbohydrates are what you want to be eating because they're fat free stay away from fat. That was kind of the time, right? So putting a little picture in both of your minds here and our listeners' minds, I'm 21. I'm teaching lots of fitness classes, exercising a lot on my own, eating lots of bagels and, you know, um, spaghetti and things like that. Cause that's what you're supposed to be eating. And Client doesn't show up for his screening. So I prick my finger and I put it in the thing and it's off the charts. It's like 280, I believe was the number that if I recall right for my um, cholesterol screening. And I was like, whoa. So I go to my primary care doctor, tell him this, and we do a full panel HDL, LDL screening. It turns out that my LDLs are high. My HDLs are a little high, but because I'm young and um, healthy, he says, we don't have to worry too much right now, but we'll keep an eye on it. And, but we did start to think about my carbohydrate level. Hmm. And once I started to eat a little less carbohydrates, never, ever took them out or did anything crazy, but just lowered them a little bit, add a little bit more protein and fat into my diet. That number actually went way down. And so here I was a very healthy, you know, young person walking around with pretty high cholesterol. Mm. And, um, so I think that what you're talking about is right. And, you know, health coaching didn't really exist then. And so if we could do more screening with more coaching and in conjunction with physicians who are able to say, yes, this is preventable. Let's look at lifestyle change coaches, come on in, let's talk about this together. I think there would be a huge shift in later in life um, prevention of disease. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I know, totally. Um, I just think there are really simple things people can do. Um, what's always been talked about, get your glucose checked, 
um, like I'm doing at the moment, and get your um, lipoproteins checked out. And the other thing is blood pressure. And I think there are lots of people in their 40s, probably even younger, walking around with incredibly high blood pressures. And there are, as far as I know, at least two things which disrupt your endothelium and set you up for arteriosclerosis and all the heart disease which follows, which is chemical, which is your glucose, which is diabetes. And the other one is your blood pressure. It's mechanical. So I think it's very simple. Before you get all the scans, I think they are valuable where they are. It, it, and there are these are things you can do something about, I think. You know, you could think about how you go through the day, what you eat, how you eat it. That is not to say, and we are all different. That's what I'm learning. So there is no diet is the same for everybody. That's why these diet things prescribed, they probably don't work that well because we all very, very different. And I'm learning this because I'm learning about my microbiome. Mm. And that tells a lot about um, how we metabolize certain foodstuffs. And if you could change that a little bit, your numbers may look better. Mm really wise yeah, there's words. so much right there's so much and the, i think one of the issues is people don't always have the time or the wherewithal to know what to do with the information that they receive and that's where i do feel like the coaching industry can swoop in and provide a platform to be able to talk with somebody and start thinking about how they can you know do some behavior changes and uh, on that preventative aspect, working again, always having to work with a physician though, because mm -hmm. you are the ones who understand the numbers. And so going be, coaches being the go between the, the client and the physician, I think is a beautiful position to be in. You're right. You're right. I mean, I, cause I feel like, you know, the, the physician is often the first, the first indicator that something is potentially in need of changing. You know, they they are often the source of awareness for the patient because they see a number or they they recognize a, a pattern. And so that's a great place to start. But there's everything, as we know, with the stages of change, there's everything that comes after that awareness that is so important because otherwise the patient's just going to come back to the doctor the following year and they're going to be the same or even worse if they haven't done anything to change those behaviors. So there, there's a, a, a obvious opportunity for collaboration there between doctors and coaches uh, to the benefit of the patient. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that's going to look like over the next 10 years um, because it's, it's, there's already evidence that there are cost savings when, when you, you're able to work in the realm of prevention. That's why, you know, societal determinants of health are such a big thing with insurance companies mm -hmm. because they recognize that. And I, I'm curious, Uda, how how this maybe aligns with what you're most passionate about with coaching 
you know, because I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, what you're what you what you're most passionate about and and how maybe you see yourself having the ability to impact people over the next 10 years. So I think what's what's changed for me with um, getting into coaching is I'm learning to improve my ability to globally listen to people. Um, so working on my listening skills and then feeding back, reflecting and having a proper conversation going, obviously that takes time, but where this is appropriate, that is a really good thing. Um, taking coaching aspects into training in the medical world, in hospital, unconditional positive regard is a really great thing. Yeah. And things start to flow, actually. The juices start to flow. Just take yourself completely out of the conversation. This is really hard. Um, it takes preparation before a session. But even I remember that I um, uh, was um, put together with a very early stage um, medical practitioner. So I think she was just one year out of medical school. And we had a big list um, in theater to do. And I just thought, I sat at home and I just thought, oh, no. <laughs> this is going to be, you know, that's that's what you're thinking. And then my partner said to me, but they won't put you together with somebody that early in their career if they didn't know you can actually deliver a good day for you all in theater. And then I kind of said to myself, I just want to have a really good day tomorrow. And so it flowed. Mm. So she was able to do things I was even surprised she was able to do in the afternoon. So we practiced in the morning and then she was almost running by herself in the afternoon. So unconditional, positive, I mean, with me present, obviously, and it just, it was so easy. Mm. And it was a great day for everybody. So there are coaching elements learned in a different discipline, bringing that into medicine is great. So um, I don't know whether that answers your question. Have I forgotten anything? Um, is there anything I would like you to, um, so when, you, when you're talking about this doctor who was newly out of medical school, I kind of missed what you guys did together. I didn't understand what you were doing together. Was that recently that you worked with her? That was that was um, two years ago. We were together um, in in theater on on a anesthetic, and we did anesthetics together. Oh, okay. So she was I think I think I am confused because you said theater. Yeah, see, um, operating OR. Oh, ah, that's okay. Okay, that's where I'm confused. No, I'm like, you're using the UK a word calls it theater. That doesn't yeah, yeah. the same word for the U.S. So I was like, I'm confused because theater yeah. to me means like you were acting <laughs> in like a well. That's why it's called theater. <laughs> <laughs> so you were working in the OR together, and she was a yeah. very new doctor. Yeah, and um, and so now that I understand. Um, 
you use the coaching skills that you had. Is that what you're saying as well to be able to converse very well back and forth in this situation? Yeah. Yes, totally. Uh, so bringing in an unconditional positive regard. Okay. Mm. That just blasted it. But I, I at the time... I didn't realize it as the term unconditional positive regard. I discussed it. It was just before the exam I took, I think in 2020, the, uh, the, the NBC HWC exam. And I was working with um, a fellow um, preparant um, who lives in New York. And he was saying to me, do you know what you did? That was unconditional positive regard when I, prescri- I described it to him. So I didn't even realize at the time what I did, but um, I thought I was that was quite interesting. You just have to keep it up, and it's not easy because it's different stresses, different you know, um, con, you know, constraints every day. It's you you have to set um, objectives, I should say, at the beginning of the day for yourself and what you want to achieve. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. And I like how you recognize that unconditional positive regard was such an important tool to use and that you were doing it and didn't even realize Mm. it, you know? I agree. And, and I, I really want to recognize too, the mindset work that you did. I mean, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say, practice unconditional positive regard but you took it a step further you practiced it intentionally you were self-aware self-reflective and said what can i do to impact this potentially challenging situation tomorrow and you decided it's going to be a great day i'm going to take a positive approach and by setting that intention and by being so in- so just self-reflective from the beginning and taking yourself out of it, you achieve something that even surprised you. And I think that's a, that's really instructive for all of us as coaches to remember that, you know, we, we can and should be coaching ourselves because if we do, that's just going to create that much more of an impact with the folks that we're coaching. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Every day a new challenge. Mm. Um, but if you're a curious kind and you like peeling uh, the layers of an onion back until you get to the core, then I think that's all for for, for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I speaking of curiosity, Uda, I'm I'm curious, um, as we're we're moving towards the end of our show here, I'm curious if you have any insights or intuitions or advice that you'd like to offer to your fellow coaches um or if you want to maybe talk about what you'd like to have what you'd like to see happen in our profession over the next few years well it's a very complex question uh, um i guess Sorry. we could do an extra session <laughs> um i just think um so advice, I don't know. I, I think it is important to be aware that uh, we as um, 
NBC, HWC coaches, we have a credential that is very, very unique in the world. Uh, no other country has that. In, in the meantime, there are 9,000 qualified coaches who are all keenly looking for placement. I think it's important to have, if you want to work with physicians, I think it's important to recognize they are short in time, they have low bandwidths, they, um, uh, there are funding issues, and they don't really understand yet fully what we do. Um, so there's a bit of work to be done. Uh, so have your credentials in paper form ready. Speak about what you do and what outcomes you've had. Um, and maybe do a presentation. That's what I'm trying to think of at the moment. Mm. Um, and I remember that Margaret Moore, if I remember rightly, she said she actually had to demonstrate in a plenary meeting because people were just looking at her blankly. And I think it's the experiential side of it, which is really important because people confuse the sports coach with what we do a lot. So, and yeah, uh, so that that's, that's one thing. What was the second part of your question? Where would you like us to see going? Yeah. Yeah. Like if there were, if there were changes that you, that you really would like to envision happening in our career field over the next few years, um, what would that be? I think we are still at, in 2016, I went out and thought people would understand what, what it means, what I'm doing, but nobody did. And I got quite frustrated and I think it got better, but we still at the very beginning. So we all have to work on the side of demonstrating what we do um, in terms of professionalism, our outcomes, um, being concise in how we demonstrate that um, to a physician, be well-researched. Um, so that's what we can do. But I think on the side of um, making it available to the public, and they then come in and ask for it. That would probably a site I would also focus on. But we have a long way to go as far as I can see. Um, it may go fast. I might be wrong. But I think we all have to work really hard to get us where we want to be in hospitals, in the community, in practices. And I think um, particularly in the community area, um, there are really great uh, transformations going on currently in terms of delivery and equality. Because, you know, you, you where do people go to have health coaching delivered? That's a question we, we all need to answer. That needs to be created. And in equality terms, there needs to be funding for it because, let's face it, the majority of the population, they can't just buy themselves health coach session, hmm. sessions um, or whole foods. So I think we all need to think in terms of how can we include everybody in this process, not just the very rich people of society because yeah. they get away with it really easily, I think. 
once yeah. they know. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent insight. Agree. Well, so what is the name of your coaching company or do you have, you know, do you have a separate coaching company name, Uta? So it's, it's called Become Well Enough. Okay. And to become well enough to actually live with good health um, and hit your marginal decade, as it were, uh, really healthy. I love and that. Well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So I want to put that on here so that those people who might want to know and understand, you know, who you are could maybe find you if they wanted mm. to. So, all right. Well, and any last minute words of wisdom over there, Brian? I am just humbled that you took your your valuable time uh, late in the day to to spend it with us and share all your your wisdom and experience, Uta, because this has I I think what you have discussed is priceless for certainly our profession in general, but also especially for the coaches like you who are passionate about that intersection between conventional medicine and and where health coaching thrives in prevention. Um, that's There's a lot for them to unpack from just this session. Absolutely. Yeah. And the buy-in from physicians about the importance of coaching is also huge. So your voice lends that expertise yes. that's so valuable to understanding why it is that coaching is important in this medical world, you know? So I think that's, that's, that's always kind of the, the important part introducing new things to society is who the buy-ins coming from the mm -hmm. beginning. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a huge pleasure. Thank you very much um, for allowing me to give you my perspective. Um, and it was an absolute blast. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, this concludes episode two of season two. Can you believe it? We're already in our second season of the Wellness Coaching Conversation. And it, it really has been our pleasure to have Uta Bellin, Dr. Uta Bellin, among many things that she does to, to be our guest. And as always, it's I can't even put into words how much fun I have working with you, Lori. And so we're just glad that some folks are listening and that we're able to provide value to them. Absolutely. Well, we'll see the, we'll be on the next conversation shortly. Very soon. See you later. Mm -hmm.